0: know your name, I swear I do, it's on the tip of my tongue. Sorry, what did you say, and I've known you for how long? Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks, Lori LeBay. I want to welcome you all here today and uh, thank all of you who have been listening to us for, gosh, over seven years now. And uh, again, welcome those of you that are new to our show For those of you that are new, um, basically Alzheimer's Speaks was created because my mom had dementia for 30 years. And as a daughter, I struggled trying to find resources, products, and tools to help us as a family uh, deal with dementia and live gracefully forward. And so basically, we are an advocacy based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort. Around the world, and we also help companies expand their brand footprint by leveraging our content in our platforms, so that they can reach again the people who so desperately need their information. I also want to. Um, Put the invitation out to all of our listeners Uh, because of your loyalty. You know, we would love also to hear your stories because we have everybody on the show. We have people who are diagnosed, we have family members who are caring for a loved one. We have business professionals, authors, writers, musicians. Um, uh, Later this month, we're going to have a bunch of girls playing football that are raising funds for Alzheimer's disease. So nothing is off limits. We've had researchers from around the world. So if you have a story you'd like to tell or have some thoughts on how we can better serve the community of dementia, uh, just reach out to me at 651 uh seven four eight four seven one four that's six five one seven four eight uh four seven one four or you can always reach me at Lori L O R I at Alzheimer's uh, dot com and I would love to love to chat with you. Now, before I um, get into our show today, which is going to be about a, a new dementia and aging study program through the University of Texas, um, I always like to just give a shout out to some companies that I think you might be interested in. Uh, one is called the Roberto app, and it's a app that helps You measure your own brain function Through playing video games And it was developed by uh, Athletes who were concerned About their brain function And it's a lot of fun It's easy to do And it gives you great feedback And you can access actually a free trial By going to our website AlzheimerSpeaks.com And you'll see a banner on the right hand side Again that's called the Roberto app I also want to give a shout out to Maria Shriver and her women's Alzheimer's movement. She's just doing such great things. And this past summer she did once again, her move for minds, which gathered people all around the country together to learn um, from panelists and they do an exercise program and they meet with vendors and learn about nutrition. And it's just, a, it's a very, very cool. So uh, check out uh, Maria's uh, website. That is the thewomensalzheimersmovement.org. And then I just got involved with the World Kindness USA. They're in Australia and UK and Japan, and they just entered um, the U.S. They did a soft launch in August in Laguna Beach. They're going to be doing one in Maryland this month in September. And I'm honored to be uh, one of their national board members. And uh, check them out. If you're looking for some good news and ways to be able to change the world in a positive light, which I think is just a, a perfect match for dementia at, at on a whole, you can go to worldkindnessusa.org. That's worldkindness. USA.org. And then I would be amiss if I didn't mention, in case some of you don't know this, this is Dementia Awareness Month. So, um, you know, spread the word. With that, I'm going to go ahead and introduce our guest today. We are honored to have Dr. Chris Johnson with us, and he is a clinical professor of sociology at the Texas State University and he has developed a new 33-hour course um, there on dementia and aging studies, which is an online degree course, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, He has his PhD from Iowa State University in sociology with a focus on aging and social psychology. And Dr. Johnson also was the director for the um, gerontology um, unit at uh, the University of Louisiana for 27 years. So welcome, Chris. How are you doing today? I'm
1: doing fine, Lori. Thank you. And, and you mentioned at the first it was uh, University of Texas. It's actually Texas State, as you said the second time. So I want to make sure oh. people understand it's Texas State University that our program comes out of.
0: Okay, well thank you. I will make that correction um in the in the future. I think I might have that up wrong in the title, so I will uh, I will change that. So thank you. Um yeah, you- Okay. Before we um, get started with our line of questioning regarding your studies program, there, I always like to get a little background on you and uh, for our listeners. And can you let uh, let us know if you personally have been touched with family or friends with dementia?
1: Well, my uh, yes, uh, it started with my aunt. Uh, who had Alzheimer's uh, roughly for about 15 years before she passed away. Uh, She went from living uh, alone in her home to uh, a not so good nursing home uh, that really wasn't adequately prepared for persons with dementia. Um, And uh, then my mother got vascular dementia and um, she lived about uh, 15 years. She died at age 99 and had uh, gone from living at home to an assisted living apartment and finally to memory care there and qualified for hospice I believe four times uh, at the assisted living uh, home and in, until she, uh, she passed away. And now my oldest brother, who's ten years older than I am, uh, also has—he has, uh, uh, has disease—and so, uh, yeah, it, it it runs in, in some, with some family members, and uh, one hopes that you know it's not going to affect me. But if it does, uh, I hopefully am prepared.
0: Okay. That was one question I was going to ask you because that's a question that people always ask me, are you scared that you're going to get it next?
1: No. Um I, you know, I look forward to the life hereafter. Um it it uh, the thought of that doesn't concern me, but I do, you know, there uh, there are thoughts you work with when you work with persons with the living with dementia, you you do think about your own situation and you know, and uh, others having to care for you, um, but I kind of look at it like, um, I don't look at it as caregiving, I look at it ca- as care partnerships. Uh, I've care partnered with my wife for a number of things and uh, my children as well, and so life goes full circle for some people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and and there are benefits to caregiving that people don't think about. You know, you can be a person can become better as a person. Uh, they can gain more qualities, uh, more insights into themselves, become more patient. Actually, gain a lot of very positive spiritual qualities uh, by having the privilege of caring for another person. And so. Caregiving implies to me a one-way relationship. It's actually a two-way relationship. And there are challenges on both sides, but um, I, I look at benefits, and I've been a caregiver uh, in a number of different capacities. And I have okay. benefited as a person uh, by being a caregiver. So Okay. I those capacities as being a care partner
0: okay great i i i'm uh in total agreement with you there i think there's so much um to learn and i I think your relationships become deeper when you're in that situation and for me like my intuition was higher and i i learned different levels of of unconditional love which i didn't know there were even levels of uh, but it just it just seemed deeper and a richer experience as time went on. So thanks for sharing with us there. Can you tell our audience exactly what is dementia studies and, and aging studies? What does that mean? What will what will people look forward to if they sign up? Um,
1: okay, so the um, we offer a master of science in dementia and aging studies and. There are 17 dementia studies programs in Europe, and America uh, doesn't have any until now. And yet, um, if we look at uh, the current situation in America, um, you know, in 2014, Texas border regions approved our this first program in America in dementia and aging studies, which is a 33 hour online degree program. And its focus on dementia studies uh, also has in-depth education in aging and, and of course services for persons with dementia as well. And it sets us apart really from other gerontology programs with the dementia studies component because we have eight full semester courses on a broad range of dementia topics like caregiving and dementia, introduction to dementia studies, social psychology of dementia, clinical sociology, counseling elders and persons with dementia, end of life care, a very important component. uh, Communicative disorders uh, with persons with dementia. Um, You know, so it's a variety of course topics. And we, our faculty, unlike the many of the traditions in America that see dementia as um, an ongoing funeral or a tragedy. Our fa- faculty consider dementia as a disability with abilities. So we promote what Europe called dementia citizenship opposed to the tragedy view. Uh, we want to empower Persons with dementia and find their strengths. We're interested in what they can do, and so uh, we we know there's a gap in dementia education in America because approximately 75% of nursing homes and half of assisted living residents have some form of dementia. Dementia is growing among the young and the old in America. So it's important to focus on these remaining abilities uh, throughout the disease, should they get dementia. Of course, we have uh, a number of aging courses as well, what we call gerontology courses. So people uh, really have a well-rounded education in this 33-hour program, and they also learn about human rights. Uh, for persons living with dementia and how they are marginalized and disempowered in America. So our advocacy for their rights uh, has a blend of applied public and clinical sociology, gerontology courses. And I think it's appropriate that Texas State University, where President Lyndon Baines Johnson graduated, He was the first president to sign the Civil Rights Bill of 1964, which was a milestone in human rights. It's kind of ironic that Texas State, his alma mater, is the first American university to advocate for human rights for cognitively disabled people. And the MSDA program champions such rights for elders and for persons living with dementia. So it's in response, our our dementia studies programs in response to really a demographic imperative. We need competent gerontologically educated workforce for this growing aging population in America. And the book The Age Wave actually said America's not prepared for this, aging of America. They're not prepared for dementia either. So we've created this program that brings the two together in Dementia and Aging Studies. And Thank we you. know that, uh, Go ahead.
0: Oh, I was going to say, that's fantastic um, that you... What you have put together there, because um, like you said, you know, we, we try to pretend like we're the leader of the pact, but we we definitely aren't when it comes to dementia here in the US we're we're getting on the bandwagon right now but um we've got a long ways to go can you talk a, a little bit in terms of the need for administrators and nurses and and um executive directors you know why why your course would be beneficial to them because i think so often people think that they, they're in the field and they, they, they have it, they have this covered. How do, you, how do you see your program really benefiting them?
1: Well, I think, I think we enhance uh, the experience that people have um, because you can have experience doing things the wrong way for years and years and years. You can be a a gerontological architect and be designing the wrong type of design for years and years and years. Unless you take gerontology courses and and understand the research on design uh, for dementia and have special conferences like we had in London uh, when I was at uh, Sterling University. We had an architectural conference in which we we exchanged ideas. And we looked at evidence-based designs uh, for persons living with dementia. So architects need training in dementia studies, dementia and aging, aging in place, um, and uh, how to design for aging in place. If you look at uh, geriatrics in America, in the UK, in medical schools, uh, doctors uh, that are in school have to take geriatric courses. In the U.S., they're not required to take one, even one geriatric course, and wow. for that—that's that's an astounding statistic, considering yeah. that ger- geriatrics are really the the main part of our population, and elderly um, are are now facing problems with uh, polypharmacy and drug to drug and drug to food interactions that wouldn't have occurred if these general practitioners would have had geriatric courses in their curriculums. So now we're going to have to go back ex post facto and train these doctors in geriatric medicine because otherwise we're going to see more and more uh, elders who are not receiving proper medical care. Uh, our nurses, there's a, a shortage of gerontological nurses. Everyone's flooding pediatrics it's the same way. There's fewer children than elderly in America, but everyone wants to go and help children. This is called ageism. We, we suffer as a culture from ageism. That's prejudice against older persons. And it's, it's reflected in our medical schools not requiring geriatrics and so few nurses going into long-term care or working with elders as well. Uh, They want to get into surgery, they want to get into working in pediatrics and with children. Uh, Elderly are at the bottom of the barrel in terms of the choices. If we look at uh, long-term care administrators in America, uh, in, in most states you don't need one course in gerontology to become a nursing home administrator. Wow. And this is, uh, this is uh, a travesty. Uh, you know, in, in Louisiana, I knew a fellow that was a used car dealer. And he uh, did six-month internship in a nursing home and became an administrator. Well, uh, <laughs> at that time, they only had to have two years of college in anything from basket weaving to aviation and, and uh, nothing in gerontology, and um, we're requiring a master's, uh, you know, and, and so, does, uh, so do other programs. There are plenty of gerontology master's programs around the country, and they're online, so people can work and pick up these courses. There is no excuse for people to not get this desperately needed education but they choose to go uh, a quick and expedient way and then find themselves having problems dealing with persons with dementia which constitute the majority of their population. If we look at nurse aides in America, my wife did for her doctorate in dementia studies, she's one of the few women who have a a PhD in dementia studies, uh, Dr. Roxanne Johnson, uh, she did a TED Talk um, that's on YouTube, uh, Who's Taking Care of Your Mother? And it's based on her three-country study of nurse aides. And she found that in studying Canada, Scotland, and the U.S., only the U.S. were nurse aides, the working poor. And the in Canada, they had to have a year of training, and they had middle-class wages. In the U.S., they were the working poor, and they had... Um, anywhere from 75 to 100 hours of training instead of a year, 100 hours of training. To be a dog wow. groomer in the US requires 400 hours of training and a test. To be a barber requires 1,500 hours of training and a test. So to be a nurse aide, 100 hours of training and a test. And they are, they are working with tube feeders. They're working with people that are very seriously ill who have dementia and end-stage dementia and have very little training or education to deal with it. And then when you look at the nurse aid turnover in America that can run anywhere from 100 to 400 percent, in Canada it's 5 percent. Turnover, uh, when you have that high of turnover, you cannot deliver person-centered care because you have a revolving door of nurse aides coming in to memory care neighborhoods um, all the time, and how in the world, when research is showing they're running short short on staff as well, when they're short on staff and they have that kind of turnover, how can you deliver person-centered care?
0: You can't. You're right.
1: Care is a myth. It's
0: not happening
1: in America. There are a few places that are cutting edge that are doing it, but the vast majority that are claiming it are simply not backing it up. And when we look at activities for persons with dementia and long-term care activity, directors don't have any training in gerontology and and in learning how to, you know, in in, in the area of recreation therapy or learning how to do music therapy and different types of therapies uh, for persons to enable and empower Persons with dementia. So when we look at home health agencies and dementia, there's a paucity of training and education in dementia. It's almost non-existent in home health, and yet they're going into homes where a vast majority of elders have cognitive disabilities of various ta- kinds. And adult day service is another big gap as well in gerontology education. We desperately need more memory care and well-designed adult day services for respite care and for all day care and even evening care, 24-hour day service in some states. Um, But the people that are running them are lacking in dementia and aging study knowledge. And we have to remember the person with dementia is aging as well. They they have aging diseases besides brain disease. And so the knowledge of aging is very, very important.
0: Yeah, I I agree. And I I, I think you hit the you know nail on the head when you talked about short staff and the amount of turnover. And, you know, turnover, I think, comes because there's not a feeling of cohesiveness and people get frustrated maybe wanting to do a better job and can't because there's just too much to do, you know, in the job description and then not being valued. And uh, you talked about person-centered care is really kind of a myth. Uh, In many, many places. And and I think it's a very overused term and one that isn't defined well at a community level where people understand it. I think we really need to change that verbiage really to relationship-based care because when we're in relationship, we tend to stay longer. We tend to feel a little bit more empowered. We don't tend to feel as burnt out because, like you said, the term caregiver says we're giving it all away, We're now it's a two-way street and we can get refilled and we can share. And uh, I, I think so often we are seeing now people that don't understand the industry and what the needs are. And I think one of the greatest needs out there is creativity Uh, to try new things. I mean, it's been really fun to see all of the different things that are popping up that people thought before, Oh, oh, they could never, well, they couldn't sing in a choir. They couldn't paint. Uh They couldn't do this. They couldn't do that. And people are saying, well, let's, you know, humor me, let's just try. And they're going, Oh my gosh, this is working. This is beneficial. Or even with memory cafes, I, I still get this comment to this day. Well, well, people with dementia can't be in a group with their care partners. And I'm like, well, why not? Well, you know, they might say something that's not very nice. I'm like, where do you think they are 99% of their day? You know, they should be able to talk respectfully and honestly. That's a good relationship, you know, with one another. Um, and, And to be in a peer environment. So, yeah, we have a long, long ways to go here in the U.S., and it's, it's nice to see that we're making strides. It's wonderful that your university is, um, has developed this program that people can take online, so it is a little bit more flexible. And it's, a, it's astonishing when you talk about the hours for the dog groomer, the barber, or whatever it might be, versus someone who's caring for our loved ones. I think that that's just, uh, those numbers are just shocking. Uh, and I don't think people truly understand the lack of education uh, that is that is happening out there in most communities, not all, but in most communities and in most services dealing with dementia. I also, I wanted to ask you too, do, do, in the course, do you talk about, dementia in all ages? Because we are starting to hear, again, not a lot, but we are starting to hear more of dementia even hitting children now.
1: Oh, yes. Um, yeah. In fact, that is one of the focuses of our uh, our, our form of study is to understand that um, for example, when I was in Scotland, I was working with Korsakoff syndrome, which is, were, um, you know, young adults, young men uh, in their mid-20s, late-20s, early-30s that had full-blown Korsakoff syndrome, which is an alcohol-based dementia, not all alcohol, but mainly alcohol-based dementia. And... Um, uh, we We know that with um, uh, there there's uh, a growth of not just alcohol related brain damage but um, young onset dementia and um, you know it, uh, it it's it's difficult to diagnose sometimes, but the causes of young onset dementia are different from That in older persons. Uh, The young onset of some of the most common types of dementia are uh, particularly of concern. Um, And there are, uh, you know, you have to look at the diagnosis and the particular main issues uh, facing younger persons with this. Um, They could have, for example, problems with behavior or vision or language. And, um, you know, so uh, some have brain damage uh, uh, due to various diseases or head trauma. Uh, so we're looking now at younger people, even, even diseases we consider the diseases of the old, like Alzheimer's, for example. It's often used to be called old-timers disease. I have a 32-year-old woman who was pregnant with Alzheimer's.
0: Wow. And
1: the earliest age we know with Alzheimer's is age 28, but she was pregnant with Alzheimer's. She lived in Australia, and uh, her husband, uh, and we filmed it and show it to our classes, uh, her husband says, well, I have two people to take care of.
0: Yeah.
1: So these people that are younger, uh, you know, uh, they're, they're going to be working usually at the time of diagnosis, they have a partner that still works. They have dependent children. There's a rare form of frontal temporal dementia uh, that University of Indiana is studying. And I actually met a person with this, and he was in his early 40s, and he had children in high school and uh, couldn't start a conversation, but when I would talk to him, he would answer. Um, so, you know, we we run into uh, over 80 different diseases that cause dementia and of course age varies uh when we look at even people with huntington's uh you you're going to find them in their 40s um and and of course even younger with um you know with with some children uh who have um, different types of dementia
0: yeah it's it's definitely changed the face of dementia out there um, who who Could possibly be the next target And I, I think There's still a lot of education we have to do You know on that And um, you know we've Heard people um, Saying you know some of it is um, Especially with young kids I, Anyways I've heard This from several different sources And I don't know if it's proven Yet or not but they're looking At metals collected In the in the brain for some of the younger kids, and and how why are there why are their um, metal levels higher than the average bear? You know what's causing that, and uh, you know we just don't know what causes the, this disease yet, and that's you know part of the scary part about it. But that's why we have to be on top of it and and deal with it in a in a much better fashion than what we have. You you also talked about. Looking at dementia more as a disability with abilities versus um, uh, versus you know a disease per se and why do you think it's important to for us to reframe that? What are some of the the um the benefits to that? yeah
1: um, well y- you know in the past. This tragedy motif has, uh, you know, uh, one social worker in an article called uh, Alzheimer's and ongoing funeral. Um, I heard a person say the other day it's a death certificate. Um, These become, these stigmatize people with dementia. Um, And, uh, you know, once you get that label, there's kind of a panic blame process that goes on uh, and and families uh, can disengage from the person you know particularly if they don't know their name you know what's the point in associating with this family member if they don't know me well they have a disability you wouldn't abandon a, a child with a disability uh, you wouldn't abandon a Down syndrome person and and of course we know they get Dementia later as well. Um, so disability reframes dementia as something, um, you know, different, um, and we look at the strengths of what the person can do. So, um, you know, it's important to see that they have a history. They have made their mark on society. There are many skills remaining that the person can do. Um, We have a doctor here in Austin who developed a website. He has Alzheimer's. And he retired from practice, but he has a garden. He has a website. Comes out and talks to groups. Uh, We understand. We we have a better understanding of his his experience because he shares it. so, understanding uh, the need to destigmatize persons living with dementia as persons with disabilities, rather than persons who are dying or dead, treated as if they're dead. We focus on yeah. dementia. Um, you know, we understand um, this that that it's sad for for many family members, and, and they experience grief, and, and we acknowledge that, uh, but there are, there are cultural meanings attached to dementia that varies by societies, and in materialist societies, they want to get rid of anything negative. They don't want to talk about death. They don't want to talk about disability or disease or anything negative, negative. and those things are a part of life. Um, Children with disabilities, their parents will tell you, have enriched their lives in certain ways. Um, And so I think it's sociologically significant to look at it in a a different light. Um, And also look at it from the social and cultural background of the person. How persons with dementia are treated in families varies a lot by the different cultures in America.
0: Very true, very true.
1: So you look at Latino families near San Marcos where our university is, or in in Texas in general, Latinos, Hispanic populations are the largest in America, largest minorities in America. Have a lot of respect for elders and families. It's the responsibility of the entire family to care partner with the person with dementia. Same way in African-American families. We could learn a lot from uh, these minority, so-called minority families um, in, in how they work with elders in their families who happen to have cognitive disabilities
0: yeah I agree and you know i I was talking with uh dr stephen post and i and I loved I can't remember his exact verbiage, but when he was talking about disability or disease, and he said, You know bottom line is none of us have the same abilities, so why we make this standard and and say that they're disabled when we're all just able differently?' And accepting that and accepting that all of our abilities are going to change over time. We're going to learn new things. We're going to forget things. We're, um, you know, our baby, our bodies aren't going to be able to do what we used to because of age or an accident or a disease. It doesn't make any difference, but our abilities are constantly going to change. And we should be accepting and, and supporting those um those changes that just happen in life that's just part of our our being and uh and it does the, the words we use you know the the shell of a body the the you know death sentence all of that says you might as well give up life because there's nothing you know you have you have nothing you're going to get or nothing that you can You can give anymore. It's all over. And if we would have done that with my mom who lived with the disease for 30 years, we would have lost 30 years of precious life with her. You know, it it changes our our mindset and our words have huge, huge impact. So I I totally agree, you know, looking at the ability portion and trying to maximize that and create pathways for that and use creative new ways you know, to test out as well. I also liked when you were talking about over in the UK, they use the word um, dementia citizenship. And I have a a friend over there who who talked about, you know, we have this um, right to grow old and to be dignified. And that does not mean that we give up our citizenship just because we've aged or because we've gotten sick. You know, we should always still feel part of our community, which I, I think says a lot too in terms of how some countries look at this disease versus ours. We we kind of have this perfectionist um, attitude over here, you know, that you you have to keep striving to be better um, and to beat out somebody else and. You know, you look at the the problems we're having with mental health and with disease in this country, and we've set these standards that nobody can meet, and, you know, it's it's ripping us apart. And I think, um, to me, dementia is here to kind of bring us together, to kind of slap us in the face and say, okay, we can all do better together, so let's slow down and figure this out instead of... I agree
1: with you on that Uh, I was impressed in living in Scotland for two years that um, they had elder crossings uh, Mm -hmm. that would have a little sign with an older person with a cane and and it was a triangle sign and a crossing and it was called an elder crossing and uh, now in the UK they've developed um, uh, the world's first dementia friendly airport at Heathrow and um, you know the the uh, what we did at University of Sterling uh, is we provided dementia education for all the islands of Scotland, the north and western islands, uh, the entire country, and um, you know uh, educated uh, designers and architects and and people who been practicing for years but doing it the wrong way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So their their whole. The whole approach there is to educate people. Nurse aides in Scottish nursing homes are young women where the nurse aide job is a stepping stone to becoming an RN. So the nursing home pays for them to go back to school while they're working there and get their LPN and RN degrees. And of of course um, have much more extensive training in dementia care than, than we offer here.
0: Mhm, how nice uh, would that be
1: it It really is nice. I also wanted to mention that uh, uh recently, uh, my wife and I published an article uh, on that used a model for Alzheimer's that's called a trip back in time. It's time travel. um and we show how the disease works back and forth through time. Instead of neatly in stages, it doesn't work neatly in stages. You go back and forth in time. One day you recognize the grandchildren, next day you don't. And you go back and forth through time, and and you time travel back all the way to earlier ages in your life, Piaget's stages of adult development in reverse. And our article's been well-received in the UK and in America because uh, the time travel model helps Caregivers actually join uh, persons with Alzheimer's disease, that particular disease alone, uh, helps them join that person in their trip back in time uh, instead of imposing their time frame on that person. So, And it explains a lot of behavior as well. So when the person in the nursing home who's 80 years old but has time traveled back to age 20 in her mind sees an 80-year-old face in the mirror and is talking to the mirror, she actually is saying, what are you doing in my bathroom? Because she, yep. in her mind, is 20 years old, but her face is 80. So the, mirror, the talking to the mirror behavior becomes more understandable when people understand how time travel works.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think that ties into what I call um, we – we say we're compassionate care, you know, but we're really not. We're we're much more in the US a corrective care type model. You 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 come in my box and make me feel comfortable and meet my needs instead of us stepping into their box, whatever shape that happens to be in that day. And yet when we do that, life is so much easier. If it's a family member or if it's a staff member, because, like you said, behaviors are reduced because we understand what is going on now, and we're not we're not trying to force them to change something they don't have control over, and we're not making a big issue of it. You know, we're allowing it to to be what it is, and instead of no, no, that's you in the mirror. <laughs> you know, or um, you know, I mean, when I look at some of the dumb stuff we do trying to correct things instead of just kind of playing in the sandbox with them and having fun with it and enjoying life. You know, we're missing out on these, these moments of joy and these great stories that there can be. And that's not, I mean, and I have a ton of those, you know, with my mom and it's not that I'm making fun with her uh, of her. I'm just being present with her and living in that moment and not judging it outside of that moment. That's just what we did. And this is how we engaged. And you, you realize how rich those relationships can become and how elevated um, those connections can be when you truly are present, when, you're, when you stop fighting and stop trying to change somebody, but just really say, you know, you just be yourself and I'll be myself and we're going to make this work, you know, all that tension just kind of melts away. And there's such a value in that for, for all parties. And yet it is so overlooked and underutilized in, in so many ways, I think.
1: I agree. Yes. And there are humorous times. Uh, Mm -hmm. My, my brother was out with my mom, um, come from a small town on the Mississippi river and she grew up on the river and looking at the river. And so he would drive, take her out for a ride and, um, uh, look at the, go up on this bluff and look at the river. And one day a deer walked in front of the car and my brother asked her, mom, what do you think of that deer? And she says, well, I like it, but I don't think I'm quite ready to ride it yet. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: <laughs>
1: you know, he would call me and, and share with me experience. You laugh with the person, not at the person. Uh, you know, it's, uh, you, you have to have some comic relief uh, with it as well, but I think the knowledge is what's needed uh, to help people be with the person with dementia instead of imposing their reality on them, as you said.
0: Yeah. Well, and so much of what we learn through this disease or or I can I'll use myself as an example, what my mom taught me through this process. You know, everything that's good for dementia is good for the rest of the world. And it can make all of our lives easier um, instead of trying to make everybody be like us. You know, uh, we can we can accept people for being different. And learn from that and appreciate that, you know, how unique we all are. But yet um, looking at we all have more similarities than we have differences, but yet we we focus on those differences and the differences, you know, create walls and barriers. When we focus on our similarities and the joy, you know, that creates friendships and bonds and connections and beauty and it expands. expands our our um our consciousness and our level of education and our appreciation for life and um it removes fear you know and and so to me it's like oh gosh, there's no question which mode we should be on, which track we should be driving on, and yet we have to there's a lot of people we have to switch tracks because they've always done it the this is the way we've always done it, or this is the right way and this is the wrong way. And dementia teaches you, it's life really isn't about right or wrong. You know, True. it's about being present.
1: One of the uh, big impact persons for me uh, when I was in graduate school was Maggie Coon, who started the Great Panthers, mm-hmm. and she was. Um, really trying for nursing home reform in Iowa. And um, uh, I remember coming to talk to our grad students and she said, um, at the time she was in her 80s, and she says, don't tell me I look young. I'm an old woman and I'm sexy the way I am. Uh, She says, telling me I look young for my age is like telling a black person they look white. Uh, they should be proud in who they are, regardless of race, regardless of gender, and regardless of age. She said, my wrinkles and gray hair are sexy and beautiful the way they are. I don't have to dye them or have some type of face transformation to look young. And (laughs) she she Mm -hmm. said, I happen to have, I happen to date, I happen to have, Feelings and sexuality, etc., and her whole point was, let's stop this ageism in America and this bias against dementia that goes along with it, and accept people, unity through diversity. Mm-hmm. We should love diversity. What a boring culture it would be if all the flowers looked the same exactly colors and hues and shapes they are what really attract the eye and if we learn to appreciate diversity and accept persons with cognitive disabilities or elders in America um, and and quit trying to impose our you know view of what's beautiful or attractive or right or wrong on them uh, we'd have a much better society
0: yeah, I'll never forget a story when I was um I was younger, not that much younger, because it took me a long time to figure this out, and I didn't even realize I was doing it. But my three year old daughter spotted it, and I was one of those people that I was kind of the fixer of the family and all the friends. Anybody had a problem, you come to Lori and she'll get it she'll get it fixed. And oh. I remember my three year old daughter looking at me, and she's thirty now, and she said. Mom, not everybody wants to be like you or needs to be like you. You have to let everybody <laughs> live their own life. And I just kind of, I kind of brushed it aside thinking, Well, what does she know? And they're coming to me. It's not like I'm trying to change everybody. I'm just trying to help. And boy, you know, I got older and I sat back and I thought, Oh, what a wise child. What a wise child, like, because I yeah, I was trying to fix, and i and I thought that that was I thought my way was the right way on an unconscious level, I think, and um, and people thought, well, her life is smooth, so she'll be able to figure it out, but everybody's life is supposed to be different, and everyone yeah. has to learn their own lessons, you know, through that, but i I'll never forget that, and I thought, wow. A three-year-old. She's got it figured (laughs) out. (laughs) You know. Yeah. Pretty incredible. It took me another 20 years, I think, to really, for that to hit home with me. You know, 15, 20 years, which was sad uh, to be able to to say that. Say we only have about seven minutes left. So I want to um, touch base with you a little bit on this person-centered um care kind of being a myth, and just dig into that a little bit a little bit deeper in terms of your your thoughts in terms of how we how we change that or how did we even get there um, you know well, how did we person
1: centered care begins with knowing a person uh, that that is you, you have to know their biography, their social networks, the people that are important to them. Uh, both the people that are alive that are important to them and the people who've died who are important to them because those pictures will make up a a, a reminiscence book for them at at a certain point. Uh, You have to be able to understand their remaining and be able to assess their remaining capacities and what they can do. And... um, the objective should be for you to join them in, in their time travel and, and, and offer them a variety of work, not just play. It's not a geriatric playground for them. Work is meaningful to a lot of people. And a lot of people have raked lawns and, and have done a lot of uh, sewed and done a lot of different types of work. So work and leisure activities for a lot of people are spelled out in their life histories and their the type of personalities they have are important as well. All that has to be taken into account in person-centered care. For example, if a person was uh, a loner all their life and they were placed in a memory care neighborhood and stayed in their room, what do you think the neighborhood would think typically of that person? Well, they must be depressed, right, because they mm-hmm. are staying in their room all the time. Well, staying in their room is a behavior they've done all of their life. They don't, they're not a social butterfly. That's not their personality. So understanding the diversity of personalities uh, of people who happen to have this disability, um, you know, and and what skills they have and what uh, musical and various types of artistic interests are part of their life history, understanding all that is, is really important to getting to know the person. And so you have to be fully staffed in long-term care. You can't you can't be, uh, as some of the recent uh, news has come out that many long-term care facilities aren't telling the truth about their staffing. You know, they're understaffed. Yeah. And so yeah. if you're fully staffed and you have the help and you have uh, uh, they're making a, a decent living wage, which empowers them, and you give them more training and education than they have, um, that empowers them uh, so that they can fully, uh, they can help the person living with dementia fully self-actualize. And, and, and that, that happens when you can touch upon those varied interests uh, those important people uh, that uh, and and develop a relationship with them, where you have the time to sit and listen to them. If you're shorthanded, there's no time to sit and listen.
0: No, it's all about getting the task done, and, no, and not it, so it, much on how you get it done. Right. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. If sitting, listening to that person. And uh, understanding that uh, most communication is nonverbal, so the yep. nonverbal communication is very, very important that they're giving us. And uh, so I think person-centered has actually never really been defined. And the way I look at it is, it's you know, it's um, it's all of the things I just mentioned where care partners are trained how to roughly identify where the loved one with dementia is. Uh, They validate the person's definition of the situation. Um, They have various forms of nonverbal communication that they use with old pictures of significant family and friends. Um, They listen to music that they like instead of warehousing music that the nurse aides like. (laughs)
0: -hmm. Or
1: warehousing one song, you know, one country song for everybody. When somebody likes classical, uh, you have to be able to join them in the type of music they like, and then you validate their reality, and and that's that's what's so important. And you also have to understand what family members actually can be distressful for that person. they've had a bad relationship with a sister all their life, it's not likely when she visits that it's going to be a positive interaction.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things, too, when it comes to person-centered care is that we have to understand that the person caring for them, if they're having any emotional thoughts, um, and that could be... You know, I this isn't how I envision my life to a family caregiver, to I have to get to my next person. You know, when we're preoccupied, that trumps our ability to really be person centered, to really be present in that in that uh time that we're with them. Which again, I, I think relationship based care um says it a little bit better in terms of what we're what we're reaching for. I do have on the the website here the links uh, that people can check out your your program again it's a new thirty three hour m um, s in dementia and aging studies at the texas state university and I would highly encourage anybody to uh, to check that out because everyone in in so many different businesses, uh, this you'll find this of value because, you know, dementia is on the rise, and it's not something that's going away soon because we don't know what causes it, so we don't know what, uh, you know, we have no cures at this point. So we really need to become dementia-friendly. Thank you again, Chris, for being with us. Appreciate it. Bye Thank now. Thank you, Lord, for having me.